All right, I'm into this. I'm into this. Yeah, this it's giving me it's giving me sort of like Death Stranding vibes, you know? Cuz it's like it's fucking boring, but that's like the point, I think. This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging and marketing of bullshit. Here we are again. <laughs> it's been a while yeah. since we've been in the same room, that's for sure. It has, it has. It's been nice though. I mean, having to have a chance to hang, game, do all that, it's been good. Yeah, it's, it's also good. weird seeing you without any lag time, you know, like. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. But, all right, guys, welcome to the NBS podcast. Um, this is going to be a special bonus episode between Ian and I um, that I kind of wanted to do. So, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but we'll kind of start off the premise, then we'll kind of go from there. But I have always been um, kind of a Bo Burnham fan. I thought he's always had a unique approach to comedy. And I know that he's had spats of of being offensive in certain rights or ways, but I always thought that he was a clever lyricist and he was uh, very intelligent. And recently his new Netflix special dropped. And I remember watching it with my best friend and being like, this is something that's really unique and it was different and it wasn't what you think a comedy special to be. Um, it's almost like uh, so. For those that have not seen it or don't know, he essentially um, does it all by himself. So he does the writing, the editing, and he's in his room. So basically, he never leaves his room, and he's the one that's creating all the shots and using like uh, like effects and soundboards and light stuff in his own house. Um, and it, he just released it. So he worked on it for over like a year during quarantine, and. It just started to surge. I mean, I think it was like, there was almost, right now, the last time I checked, it was like 11 million downloads for the album. He like mm. uh, was top of the comedy album. He also crossed over, was on the you know the pop charts, uh, top 200 recently. And there's been a few articles that have been done about him. Um, and so I thought with Ian, how we, you know, we like to talk about culture and we like to talk about what's going on and, and the fact that he is the exact same age that we are. And this is almost like an angsty, um, his version of kind of what it was like to be locked in the pandemic. I told Ian, it's, uh, it's time to talk about it and see, you know, what he thought. Cause I know Ian always likes to critique. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think, well, I mean, what's funny is like, you know, just preface is like, I had quite the initial hesitancy going in because I've, I've just never been a fan of Bo Burnham. I, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of his stand up and the music and I don't know, there, there was just something that just didn't didn't connect with me but because what josh was alluding to is that this has been kind of a center of the cultural zeitgeist for a little bit you know everybody on youtube well not everybody but the video essayists on youtube are going they're making their own videos about it kind of expressing their thoughts and dissecting a little bit like you said it's hitting the billboards um, mm-hmm. and it's being labeled as a comedy album which i thought is I mean, it's, it obviously has comedic elements to it, but it's definitely, I think, more than that. And so when Josh told me about it, well, I guess he asked me, you know, it's like, hey, have you seen this? No, I don't, I don't want to watch that. And, you know, then he kind of brought up like all these bits and pieces of it. It's like, okay, okay, I'll finally do that. So it was two days ago. I Was it two days ago? Maybe it was a day ago. I watched it for the first time. I had some thoughts. And then when Josh came down... Uh, to visit, I watched it again. Well, we all watched it again, Josh and my wife and I. And it was interesting. I don't know if you wanted to give your initial thoughts first, but um, th- for, I guess the biggest thing I'll say is that it is, I think, a work of art. I, I think it goes beyond the comedy album. Just the fact that he put so much time and energy, I mean, you, I guess was sort of forced to with, with quarantine, but because he put so much time and energy and effort doing the production, the sound design, I mean, the voiceover, the the lighting, the camera works, I thought it was really brilliantly done, despite some of the content, but we'll get into that. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you have, do you have any initial thoughts you just want to give before we break it down? Sure. I mean, I agree with all of that. I just think that for me, 
what we try to do on this podcast is, is we're always having conversations and we're always trying to analyze things in different elements and in different lenses to see if we can't try to find a sense of understanding, you know, and I think you and I, you know, we should do get in battles of what we think is, is right or wrong, but I never really view our conversations as right or wrong. It's more of just trying to further. Right, not debates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it's, it's more of like, when I watched this, I, I just had so many questions and, you know, the way that he was basically trying to call out culture in certain regards and the way that he was you know, setting his, his songs up and, and the way that he did his transitions and just his spoken word stuff. You know, he got very serious with his mental health in the special and, and, or did he? And that's the thing too, that's interesting. Right. It's hard to tell if this was a performance piece because the one thing I want to make a caveat is that what sometimes frustrates me is that we're going to run into this issue between comedy and what jokes you can make and what jokes you can't make. Mm-hmm. You know, we did an episode about that in the past, but I think yeah. it's, Really, in this special, it's, it's, I don't necessarily, like you said, I don't view it as comedy, even though there's a lot of comedic elements. Now, I'm just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is I know that the, whatever something comes out, there's comedians that I love and they have jokes that are not that funny, you know, that I think. Mm-hmm. And one person who thinks this joke is really funny, another person's going to think it's different. So we're not going to try to, you know, we'll break down some of the content here, but we just understand that, like, I cannot guarantee that everything he said in that is just a statement of what he actually feels or believes or says. Right. You yeah. know, cause I read a lot of, you know, you'll see a, a comedian do a standup special and then you'll see like Vox do a breakdown of it. And they're like, Oh, and they said this, like, this is what they're meaning. You're like, yeah, but you know, some people go into watching comedy with a caveat that like, Hey, these are comedians and they are trying to get a laugh and they might have structured it a certain way mm-hmm. to get that laugh. And they may not, you know, a hundred percent what they say on stage may not correlate exactly with what they believe. That's the, yeah. And I think that's, <clears throat> you know, one of the bigger issues with separating the art from the artist a little bit is the artist might have a particular set of beliefs, which I think Bo Burnham certainly shows off some of them, uh, in the, in the context of the special, but then the art should also sort of speak for itself in a little ways. And, you know, just on that particular note, He's even in those moments of of candidness where he is trying to express his feelings and and ultimately fails in very many instances where he is having a bit of a breakdown. The camera is still present, like it is blocked, like you would a movie almost. Mm-hmm. Like it it is it's staged, for, you know, for lack of a better word. Not to say that it's not authentic. It is just staged so that way he can give this presentation and give a performance. Now, granted, I don't know how much planning he really put into that. Obviously, he's not here with us. Right. Uh, but I think, um, you know, and you know, of course, then there's a parallel, right? There are a few songs. I can't remember all their names. I have some notes, but there's... Um, I can't remember which one it was. It might, it may have been all time low where he, it seems like it's going to be a candid moment, you know, mm-hmm. where he's talking to the camera or talking, you know, to the microphone and then it jumps into a song for a yes. second, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. You know? And so you sort of see the irony there. And I also think too, your good point about some of the things are true because I, I've seen some interviews with him where he's been a little bit more kind of serious about what's going on. And, and he did. So in the special, for those that haven't seen it, he, he has this song near the end of the special and he kind of goes into a monologue before the end of the song. And he talks about how that he, um, back in his last special, I think it was 2016 called happy. I believe, um, he started to realize that he was getting panic attacks on, on stage while performing. And he kind of disappeared from the limelight. He wrote eighth grade in that time, that movie, but you know, most thing he wasn't doing any sort of live comedy and that's true. So in this bit, he talks about how he, step back from having panic attacks. And he said, and and funny enough, he said the funniest thing happened to me. And he's alluding to the fact that in January of 2020, two months before we went into official lockdown, most of us anyway, Mm -hmm. um, that's when he felt like he was mentally in a place to be able to perform live again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, yeah. So tragedy there. Exactly. So in that regard, you're like, okay, so that monologue alone, you know, that did happen to him Mm -hmm. and that's something that he's discussed. And so there is a little bit of truth, you know, and and that for yeah. him, his his personal viewpoint. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I've had maybe two panic attacks in my life. I do not know how I would deal with a panic attack live on stage. That just seems a little. I I, I just do not know what to do in that instance. So I can only imagine somebody like him, who again is our age, 
might not have the same, obviously doesn't have the same background or experiences as us, but like, how do I do, deal with this situation? Do you just leave, you know, or you just try to keep performing? That just seems right. Just yeah. Intense. It's, it's, it's really intense. And, yeah. you know, I, and I think too, the reason kind of, I wanted to talk about the special is I think that he has created something that has bridged the gap between kind of, as Ian has alluded to kind of like this cinematic new style of art. Um, mm-hmm. And, cinematic art to be more specific combined with the idea of a special, you know, and he does a really good job explaining it. There's a monologue point in the show where he discusses the fact that, you know, there's no crew. Um, there's no audience, you know, it's just me in my room and you on your couch watching and let's see what kind of happens. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, like anything else, it's, it's, there's some songs that are better than others. Um, so I'll say that I think for me personally, he, he does a song about, it's called FaceTiming with your mom and, you know, and, and I guess, you know, it just depends on how it goes where some people who might connect with that might find that funny. But I think for me, that's probably my least favorite, you know, and that's more of a a lighthearted comedic song, just about the struggles of, of the technology gap, you know, Mm -hmm. between your parents and and us and, you know, because us being millennials and then, you know, down next and you have, there's been that. Yeah, generational divide. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, in that song in particular, I I didn't care for it that much either. Well, I mean, as a whole, it just wasn't my favorite, right? Um, But I think with that song in particular, I think it highlights one of the themes in, in the special is one is, you know, there's this, prominent theme of isolation obviously uh but the other thing too i think is you know commenting on that generational divide and showing the separation that we have from our parents especially you know because so much for adult lives is spent being an adult right it's not really doing the same thing that we would do as a kid under the wings of our parents and then i think you sometimes you might lose sight of what it's like to be in their shoes of just like, Hey, this is my kid. And then all of a sudden my kid isn't here anymore. You know, like I often think about that with my son, like what kind of person is he going to be when he leaves the nest, so to speak. And in that instance where he's talking about trying to FaceTime, like it's, you almost forget to cherish just like these people raised you. And, you know, I don't know what his relationship is like in reality with his parents, but at the same time, you know, in, in those shots, he's just like, he's getting, visibly annoyed with talking to his parents or his mother on on FaceTime and then, you know, if not yelling at her to, like, move her thumb off of the camera and all this kind of stuff. And in the end, it kind of has this... There's not, It's not really resolved. It's just more of like, okay, let's... I love you, bye. You know, let's talk later. And I think that, to me, highlights what's sort of what's... One of the problems that's happening right now, not just with millennials, but specifically, specifically Gen Z, mm-hmm. in their separation, because... They've grown up with this technology, and so all they know is is um, that separation. You know, even if you live with your parents still, like all you know is being online. You know, and that's the actually that's kind of like the first thing I want to break down and talk about because I think continually throughout the special, he has these themes of what social media is doing or what the internet has done to us, mm-hmm. you know, as a society, and and kind of like he compares to his own mental struggles with maybe the digital world or the, you know, the, and he's got a few monologues where he discusses like that, that element of it. And it got me thinking because I remember that when, you know, I think I I got my first cell phone when I think I was 15 and it was uh it was like a Nokia brick phone and it, and I can only like receive or send calls. I don't, Mm -hmm. I I don't think I got text messaging until I was 17 or 18. Did you have snake? Um, I did have snake. (laughs) Um, my first ever flip phone, like, you know, was uh, the point that I'm making is that, you know, for, for Ian and myself who were born in the, you know, in the 1990s, it's, we saw the rapid growth of technology, especially in the cell phone sphere. Mm-hmm. And now what we have in our hands and social media and all this stuff, we've literally watched the birth of it, you know, from MySpace to yeah. Facebook, to Twitter, to all these things now. And, and even back then, you know, I remember seeing people talk about how like, oh, you see people go out to eat and everybody's just on their phones. You know, they're not looking at each other. So there's been sprinkles of it, but I feel like we're coming to this precipice of more people are, are starting to learn and acknowledge the potential dangers possibly mm-hmm. of, of what these things can do. And, you know, and he makes a point where he says something along the lines of, this is not a direct quote, but something along the lines of the real world is just a theatrical stage to 
put things onto the digital world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember which which section he was talking about that. I know there was one part where he's lying down in his bed in the camera, or I shouldn't say bed, it's more of just on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, covered in a blanket, and the camera is facing directly down on him. And that's one of the things he's alluding to, is just like, maybe we shouldn't be putting this technology in front of our, in front of our children, um, you know, and destroy their mental abilities, you know, when it, when it comes to like, you know, social interactions and, and, and the separation there. And I think then that parallels with very nicely with that um, piece on the digital realm, because I think more often than not, he's more or less correct in how everything we do in the real world, at least, at, at least a, a lot of us, not every, and not everyone is feeds into that digital space, you know, whether it be companies and like marketing mm-hmm. or, you know, there there are complete industries just built on selling ad space on Instagram, you know, whether it be travel or uh, vacation, you know, anything like that, or maybe like little little kitschy stores and shit like that. Um, you know, and then on top of that, like there are whole personalities sold online. I mean, like you and I see that all, all the time, you know, especially like with menswear, right? You know, right. just like check out these nice leather boots or this watch, you know, like and look like these people, right? Look like you live online. And I think that's what he's talking about specifically, I think is kind of scary in a lot of ways because living online is not really living, I don't, I don't think. Right. Despite it being the norm, um, so many people care what happens to them online. It's like Twitter. You know, like people live their entire lives on Twitter, you know, about their interactions there, their followers, their friends, uh, you know, whether it be journalists or celebrities, you know, that's that's all that's driving their life. And then... On top of that, the way that people respond to Twitter outrage and how it's like versus it's not a re- it's not the real world or it is very important. It it's I don't know we've kind of driven ourselves into this corner that it doesn't feel like there's that much of an escape. And I also think too it's he's been thinking about this for a long time. Like the one thing I wanted to brought up is when I watched his 2016 special, Happy. Um, he you can already tell that he was kind of heading in this direction because that special was majority a comedy special, but there were moments where he would kind of get deep with the audience, you know, and near the end of that special, he talked about how social media, the problem with it was, is that people were projecting their lives so much and they're, they, they're so focused on the attention that is received Mm -hmm. that he says that it's confusing now to know who the performer is and who the audience is, because in a way we're all performing and we're all trying to get an audience. Mm -hmm. So it, it divide blurs the lines between that, which makes things finicky. And then he also, you know, kind of goes a little further and, you know, there's been interviews that he has not in the direct special, but talks about how like his fame and, and career started online, online, you know, uh, on YouTube. And so like you have this weird, probably dichotomy going on with him of like, this is literally how I achieved fame. It's how I got my livelihood, you know, and then I know fame comes with its own scars, Right. In its own right. But yeah. this is how I kind of made money and have my livelihood. But this is also something that I feel like I can link back to certain mental struggles that I'm having. And I can see the overall, you know, mental struggles of, of what could potentially happen to other people. Yeah. And, you know, part of part of that living online specifically is, you know, if you're an artist or some kind of performer, um, you you don't have the... Um, luxury of getting critiqued face to face, you know, or, you know, like at a show, for example, like people might boo your show and then that's how you can, or, or not respond in any way. Right. And that's how you can sort of read the room, whether, you know, whether it's performing music live or comedy, for example, you can kind of gauge like, okay, do people like this? Or are they responding to this online? People might just send trolls even, or just regular folks might just send loads and loads of hate towards your way. And they're just anonymous, like they, they don't, it's, it's completely faceless and, and um, uh, lacking in any type of real interaction. And so you actually, you're actually not getting any legitimate feedback on, on your work. And on top of that, most of it is, is toxic when it comes to the negative feedback because people are so willing to say something worse than they probably normally would whether it be in person or like at an actual event. Oh, we're also that we're, you know, for me, it's, it's, I'm always baffled by how quick people are to judge based on like a one post or Mm -hmm. one sentence. Now, again, it's, 
you know, the, the, the idiom doesn't quite fit here, but it's like, I always think of the squeaky wheel gets the oil where it's the loudest voices that tend to attract the most amount of attention. And nine times out of 10, every time I see something about, you know, some sort of negative tweet or negative, you know, comment or anything else like that, it's, it's legitimately people that really have not understood like either the person's life work or who they are as a person. And they're just basing this whole entire perception of somebody based on a single tweet that did not sit well or go well. Right. Um, now granted there are, there are some tweets that are probably more easy to decipher as, as, as that way than others, but this is kind of happening all around in, in the ethos and how healthy is that a to be spewing that kind of hatred or B to be receiving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's something too we can we can link to. I think this is probably my, you know, it's probably most people's favorite uh, piece from the special is "Welcome to the Internet." Mm-hmm. And first of all, it's it's just beautifully done. You know, the performance is great, and like the um, the production of it, it like he he does so much with so little, which is really great. You know, but I think the the premise of that song just is there to highlight the absurdity of what's going on on the internet. You know, because it isn't just all, you know, the Twitter nonsense, right? Or the, mm-hmm. whatever the bullshit that's going on on, on YouTube. But it is th- th- so much content driving it. And that, that even has, there's another, um, I think it's early on, he talks about, like, I'm here to, like, bring content. I'm to, trying to develop right. content. I'm right. a content creator. Um, and the internet is just a lot of nonsense. I mean, like there's a lot of people running their businesses off there and like, Oh, we have this professional website, like come, you come find this here. But then it is also all the other stuff. on Right. There. And it is, it's far too much of an information load for most people to deal yeah. with. And the one of the, I mean, I think one of the main hooks or the, the main course, the song is, can I interest you in everything all of the time? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, which is an interesting thing. If you think about all that's on the internet, he's kind of alluding to like attention, you know, and yeah. the lack thereof or what you can, you focus on. It could be overbearing. There's any, you know, most of the lyrics are creatively done about highlighting all the random things you can see online, yeah. you know? And he says, apathy is a tragedy and boredom is a crime. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just kind of think about that and it's, you know, so true because I don't, I talked about this with my best friend where, um, I, I asked him, I go, cause we have iPhones and what iPhones have <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I know, which I'm not one about, of those. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This is not Ian, but, um, cause I already know that what, what Ian does. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there is a screen share. So for those of you that have it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But for those that don't, it's basically it tells you how much time you're spending on average per day per week oh, on your phone. Yeah. And you can try to get that number you know, higher or lower. And so I asked him one day because my report just randomly popped up. And I was like, how much how much time do you spend? Like, how, how much time does it say you spend on your phone? And he says, oh, it says here uh, an average of 7.5 hours a day. And I was like... Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. And he's like, what's yours? And I went, two and a half hours? <laughs> <laughs> and for me, though, the reason why, you know, boredom is a crime that I laugh at is because majority of the time, you know, I'm a very busy person with, with work and, you know, the podcast and school and, yeah. you know, there's all the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. But, and I know that you have your own yeah. stuff too, but the rare times that I am on the phone, those two and a half hours average on day, mm-hmm. those are moments where I got nothing going on. Yeah. You know, and... And the boredom part of it, it, it cracks me up because I find the best utilization of a cell phone, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is is when you have those moments where you might have 20 minutes between things, mm-hmm. which is not enough time to like start a chapter in a book. It's not enough time to start a game. It's not enough time to work on anything. But it is enough time to pull up something on your phone. Yeah. And... You know, a picture mess, or something that you or, can like or a tweet. Yeah, or a tweet, tweet. Or, or a smart news app or anything mm-hmm. else or, 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 you know, like anything on your phone that you can do that, you know, kind of buys that 20-minute window. And yeah. that's where I feel like I utilize my phone the most is those small Right, games. and that's where those chunks begin to accumulate, right? They're like, oh, well, I only, I only got five minutes. Let me just look at this online. And most of it is probably doom scrolling, right? You're just like, mm-hmm, this is like nothing, nothing. Um but I think what's what's interesting about that is like the boredom aspect is and now I granted I don't know how much time I spend on my phone. I know I watch YouTube a lot, I know I'm just scrolling through Instagram quite often. But 
you know, I think similar to you, like when you're working, you just don't have time to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have time to just keep scrolling. But at the same time with me, for example, I'm constantly listening to something. And I think the thing about boredom is boredom allows you to just be alone by yourself just with your thoughts, not having any distractions. And, you know, I think about this and I don't know how much I worry about it in the long run, but I'm constantly having something playing in my ear, whether it be a podcast, mostly podcasts, um, sometimes music, well, you know, because I drive for work. And so I, I, I'm just constantly listening to stuff. I'm constantly consuming you know, a product, right? You know, it's like a, you know, a specific podcast where it could be news or games or whatever. And I'm very rarely just driving thinking, probably not paying attention as much as I should be. Um, now granted, you know, when I'm listening to stuff, I, I will probably trail off and like have thoughts. I'm like, Oh, they said that when it triggers, you know, this memory or this other train of thought. But, um, so it's very, very, you know, few amount of times where I'm just like sitting there just thinking about things. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I worry, I guess that this is another thing too, is it bring it back to like just the actual screen time looking, I worry about the precedent or example that, for example, my wife and I are sitting for our son, you know, we used to, for example, late at night, you know, when we've got nothing else going on, it's like, Hey, why don't we watch a movie or a TV show, which is already, you know, maybe another part of the problem, right? But, I mean, I like watching movies, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of generating the problem. Yeah, you know, you're probably the ways. only one. <laughs> the, only, the only one, yeah. Um, you know, so we used to, like, with the kid, it's like, hey, let's just sit down. We're all going to watch this. You know, probably there'd be a lot more kid movies, you know, than actual, you know, things that adults might enjoy. Um, but now it's gotten to this point where he just, like, he doesn't give things a chance. And so he's like, he just says, no, 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 we don't want to watch. I don't want to watch it. So we just give him our phone for something to watch. You know, we'll, we'll use like the YouTube kids app and will watch something. It's very rare where we just try to get him to watch something. And the irony is that most of the time when we do try to get him to watch something. Okay, the other day we put on 101 Dalmatians. It's like, we haven't, I haven't seen this in a long time. It's a great movie. Why don't we watch it? It was actually better than I remembered. And my son was just absolutely refusing. He was yelling. He was like, no, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch Dinosaurs. I was like, dude. I can't watch another thing of dinosaurs. Um, so we put it on, and after kicking and screaming for five minutes, he's like, oh, there's dogs in this. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he liked it, you know? But it's that it's that type of effort that you have to, like, put out sometimes to, to, to get the kids away from the screen. And I, you know, my wife and I have been better about, like, not just resorting to that as a first solution – but at, in the beginning, it's just like, oh, get, just give him the phone. Just give him the phone. Right. You know, and there are things that he finds on there. It's like, how did you find this? Even on the YouTube Kids app, which is, you know, it's not the regular YouTube uh, app. So you can't just like search, you know, like kitty porn on there. Um, Jesus. There's weird things on YouTube. I'm just saying, um, I yeah. know that you had to like at least get <laughs> one of your like crazy jokes in. Yeah. But you know, you, so you can't search, you know, all the all the regular weird stuff on, uh, that you can on the regular YouTube app. But there's still really pernicious videos on that on that app. You know, like most of the time, it's um, he clicks on kids unboxing toys and their parents pushing this toy, right? So it's like buy, buy, buy. Like that's all that's on there. I mean, like there's a lot of you know kids shows, but most of it is like toys, and it's like. It's, so it's just another realm for 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 kids to be pushed into this world of consumerism. And it's interesting too, though, because your son, you know, like you said, but he's almost four now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then you look at the avenues of children that are about, I would say, I don't know, five to thirteen or nine to thirteen, uh-huh. and they're also watching YouTube stream or YouTube streamers of like either Minecraft or other video oh, yeah. games. Yeah. And, you know, I know that a, f- a few of my family, the, um, you know, my nephews and nieces and cousins and other stuff that are in the 9 to 13 range, a lot of what they do is, is watch people play games on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're not quite old Huge enough. For, yeah, they're not quite old enough for Twitch yet, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. So they use, they utilize YouTube. But this actually brings me to another part of the special that I think you and I have a unique perspective on because, you know, again, when we say Bober's our age, in the special, he turns 30. 
you know, right. Yeah. And, you know, I know that, you know, Ian and I just, you know, couldn't turn 31s our, ourselves. And, and for me, I've always had this thought. Now, he has a bit where he talks about all of his friends are getting married and having stupid kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and right. like, he, he really emphasizes, like, how stupid, you know, how stupid it is that his friends are having kids. So, like, in, that nobody should care, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, he's being satirical here. But it is fascinating for me because, you know, being where I am in my life where I don't have any children myself, I'm not married, you know, and I look at people that are having, and I don't feel like it's stupid or not, but it is a weird shift mm-hmm. um, into the experience of my friends and, and how they navigate their lives. And, you know, even this, even this, you know, even this past couple of days I spent with Ian, it's been a, it's been a trip just being called uncle Josh, you know, and having this, you know, I remember when my mom had her friends over and I was doing the same thing Oh yeah. and thinking that they were adults, they had everything figured out. Like, and just now that I'm in the sphere that I remember my mom's friends and my mom being, mm-hmm. I'm like, woof, like nobody, <laughs> nobody <laughs> yeah. knows anything. No, like, no, we, we, like, <laughs> like I thought that my That's parents had it figured out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's that weird thing where it's like, you know, the transition into adulthood is, is the joke I make is when you're a kid, you think that it's just, it's just the same as your childhood with no, you know, with nobody telling you no. Right. And then you realize that that's not the case, you know. Oh, there's plenty of people to say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or there's plenty, you know, like external factors, um, existential factors that right. that also, you know, they, um, you know, either symbolically, metaphorically, or sometimes directly tell you no as well. And so that's just interesting. Like, I don't know, you know, you're in the subset of, of people that have had children at this age and, and, and married. And, and I don't know, is it like, do you ever think, like what he's mentioning about, you know, obviously parents are going to care about their kids. I think mm-hmm. is what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. where the days of you coming over and, and us like drinking beers until one right. o'clock in the morning all the time. Yeah. Like, it's just it doesn't not- happen. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think that it's, it's a bit twofold that particular song and that segment, right. Where there are so many people, especially his, his age that I'm sure he knows, um, you know, and other groups in the, in the millennial generation that are having kids and in a lot of ways, you know, I know we talked about antinatalism before on the podcast, and it almost brings up this, uh, this um, you know, problem of, like, is it responsible to do this? Like, is it, um, like, what are we bringing, you know, what world are we bringing kids into to, you know, do this thing? So it's like, part of that commentary is just like, why would you even think about doing this, like, when the world is already fucked up? But the other side of things, I think he's also commenting on his own life and how, you know, like, just look at him and you, for example. So, like, I think you are probably in a bit of a better situation so far as that, like, okay, I'm 30. Maybe I don't have kids. Maybe I don't have, uh, you know, a wife or, or a partner or whatever. But I'm changing careers. I'm doing something for the better. I do things that are, you know, I don't want to use the, the word productive, but it's like I do things that are creative. I do a podcast. I do blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I live a little, right? Right. Uh, you know, that that's something that, that is essential to life, whereas – Somebody maybe in his situation, yeah, he's a creator, yeah, he's got a decent amount of money, but, you know, I, in that entire special, it's, it seemed like he was alluding to, like, he was almost completely alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he probably knows people and has friends, but because of the nature of quarantine, like, he didn't have a, a partner, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? So he was just there by himself doing this exercise, you know, because most of the scenes, it seems like he's just sleeping in the same room where he's making this shit, right? you know? And so... Part of that commentary is like, all my friends are having kids. Right. You know, like, what am I, what have I done with my life? You know, and on just on my side of things with, you know, with my wife, it's weird sometimes because it's like, you go out and try to hang out with friends and they're off doing stuff. It's like, well, I can't do that. You know, oh, I don't have time to do that. You know, a, a game I like to play, you know, more often than not, like they're playing in hours that I either have to go to bed for work or have to be dealing with the kid right you know i say dealing but you know like raising and taking care of being a parent yeah um and so you're just in this situation where like the only you know you sometimes actively try to make friends with other parents you know just so you can hang out with somebody you know and you know and and get the kid distracted to play with other kids so you can go and like have an adult conversation you know it's it's fun being with a child Raising them, talking to them, seeing them learn. But, you know, I can't do this 
with my son. Not really. Right. And so it's, there is part of you that's just like, I need some type of human contact. I'm like, all, you know, it's, it's like the reverse situation, right? Where like, if all of your friends are getting married and having kids, it's like, who the fuck am I going to hang out with? Right. You know? And I think too, and what he's trying to allude to is, is what I was trying to get is, is, you know, what I'm learning in school and what I think he's trying to get is, is a sense of meaning, you know, and there is a, a connection that we have. And a lot of people have this common belief that if you have a strong sense of meaning or an understanding of, of, of where to find meaning that you might be doing better off when it comes to your mental health or any other aspects of that. And, you know, for a lot of people, when you bring a child into this world, it provides a massive amount of meaning. Um, you know, and I know that you've talked about that, the meaning of your son or also like, you know, it, it, it's sometimes it's humbling to, to see a child, experience the world for the first time. Right. And you realize, man, you know, you realize all the chips that have gathered on your shoulder, they may not have known. And then you see a child experience something for the first time. And to us, it's something so minuscule because we're so used to it. But for them, it's like such a huge deal. Oh yeah. Um, and so like, there's that aspect of it. And then you're right. It's the other aspect of it of like, you know, if, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's not in a negative way, nor do I think it's a bad way. Cause I, I enjoy kind of, I'm trying to live vicariously through my friends that are having kids because I try to look at them experiencing the world and, and try to get the same meaning from that regard. Mm-hmm. But the other regard, it is kind of, you know, it makes sense that you would find people with similar situations because, you know, you look at me, who's the, you know, the single guy in our friendship. It's like, you know, if we're going to do this, I'm coming down here. Oh, you know what sure. I mean? And yeah. like, yeah. and, and so it's that other dichotomy of like, you are kind of in the space of, of probably, I would say most parents feel this is you love your kid and they provide you meaning. And it doesn't mean that you don't, but like, you know, where is the vibe of feeling bad that you can't do things that you may want to do? Mm-hmm. You can't do things that you used to do, you know, and wanting time for yourself and wanting for yourself to, to, ha- to have an adult conversation, like right. you said, or to have, you know, adult needs, but then, you know, thinking about how that might be selfish of you to feel or beating yourself up for feeling that because of the fact that you have a child that you're providing for, you know, and and for me, I don't have like that. So there's Mm -hmm. like a pro and a con where, but at the same time, you know, I also have a longing of, of doing something that's bigger than myself. Right. And I think if anything, you know, trying to, you know, taking the, you know, this is going to sound insensitive, but taking the gamble of bringing a child into the world, you know, there's a lot of things that, that can go wrong, but there's also a lot of things that can go right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we see that in society today, but taking that gamble is, is definitely, I feel that's something that's, that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's definitely some, you know, risk taking involved, you know, because yeah, as, as you know, you know, when you're raising a kid, first of all, there's never, there's there's no perfecting it, right? There's no perfecting the raising of children. You can educate yourself as much as you can, but inevitably you are sort of slave to your instinct and like, you know, okay, for example, like you, you can, you can be the nicest parent in the world. You can be, you can, you know, never hit your kids, which you should never hit your kids. Um, there, you can, you can be the most patient person in the world, but when a child is having a temper tantrum, for example, and you're just trying to calm them down and they just are not calming them down. Sometimes kids, believe it or not, have an instinct for violence. They will just like, you know, it, it doesn't matter if they haven't seen it on TV or if they haven't seen it from you. Sometimes kids will like want to, you know, push back. You know, when they're when they can't express themselves, right? They're having, they're too frustrated. And you know, if a kid like trust me, I've been hit in the face by my child, you know, because he's so upset. And like, there is a part of you that just wants to shove them back, you know. It, but you have to tell yourself not to, and you realize like, oh my god, like this child is so sensitive that if I were to create a culture, you know, of, of, of raising this child in a particular way with use of violence, for example, even if it's mild, it's still, it's still violent, right? You know, you then set this precedence for this child to just exhibit violence anytime they don't get the things that they want. And I think, you know, maybe taking this back to the special a little bit, when he's talking about, um, uh, again, in that one instance where you know we're pumping social media like into the eyes of our uh, in, into the eyes of children, and how like that's probably a bad idea. I think you know it just it props up this instinct to to be reactive and not contemplative, and 
I don't know. I, I, I worry that because everything is so fast paced, we're losing that ability to be patient with just one another, not to necessarily like teaching kids that. Right. And I think too, it's almost like, and again, I, I think, you know, what I kind of allude to it. And again, I might be putting, you know, words in his mouth or, or I might be using my own lens to project what I think he's feeling. But he, he I think that Roberto has a, is a big worry about people not liking his content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen that in his past specials. You've seen that in some of his interviews and, you know, and I, I thought this is a really sidebar. I was, I was telling Ian kind of off mic when I first got here that I was listening to Dane Cook recently on a podcast and he just talked about how when you become famous, you actually are introduced to mediocrity where for every person that praises you for loving what you do, there's 10 other people that are telling you why you shouldn't be successful, why you suck, why your comedy's not funny, you know, and I think for that would be mentally taxing for any performer who puts their blood, sweat and tears into things and, you know, they might even just be doing it for their niche audience, but people are going to be able to consume it. You know, and I think for him, he, you know, he's got a song that he, that during intermission where he's like, how are you doing? Like, I hope everything's going well. Like, you know, never mind. I don't want to know. And I think that's the name of the song. Like, I don't want to know. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, are you joining the show? Like, are you doing well? I don't want to know, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. <laughs> um, and so like he talks about his mental health and, and wanting that validation, I think. Right. Yeah. And so what's that going to do? with all of us when you branch into a, a a larger sphere of of every aspect of online in a certain way, shape, or form kind of links back to our own validation. Whatever we share, we want the people that, that we care about or that can see it to validate that. Or when we post something, you know, and I'm guilty of that too. When I was in my... God, I think, I don't know, I was like, in my the freshman year of, freshman and sophomore year of college, mm-hmm. you know, I would rarely post because my girlfriend at the time was was a big avid poster. So like, I thankfully I didn't have to do that a lot. But right. when I would post something, I would constantly check my phone to see like who liked it or who saw it, mm, yeah. you know, and I, I didn't need like a hundred likes. Like, you know, I just, there's a few people that I'm like, oh, that's super, I feel good that that person saw it and that yeah. person liked what I was doing. Definitely. And it's bad because I don't know, as I got older, it's busyness too and a lot of stuff, but I am just... My social media, you know, my Instagram and my Facebook and all these things, they are still on, but I'm just not on them. Right. You know, and I popped in every now and then, but I just don't go on there. So I'm also not, you know, commenting on any people, like anybody's stuff or, or any way, shape or form. And, you know, I just expect that too sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's why I kind of feel bad for the podcast even where... You know, That's what I was going to yeah, bring was gonna up. Say, yeah, because you know, I'm expecting people to like it and share it and spread it. And then right. I'm not giving really anybody that same sort of... <laughs> yeah, I know. And so I've been working on that, you know. Yeah. But but again, I think that what, what I think that Bo Burnham is doing is I think that you see him kind of age in this a little bit. Where you, you kind of see some understanding of he connects back with the stuff that he was doing prior and you know, all these different things. And, and I think that there is this level of, you know, I'm understanding some of the things that I was doing and, and why I was doing them for the time. But now that I'm older and now that I'm, you know, thinking about this stuff where I've been in quarantine for a while. So I've, I've been with my thoughts. Like these are the kind of things that I'm noticing. And he's choosing to do it in a, in a pseudo woven pattern of, of comedic song and dramatic monologuing and, yeah. and scene, scene shots, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, the social media uh, aspect of, you know, like think about promotion, promote, uh, promoting the podcast. I mean, you know, you said it yourself, it's like, you're not on the platforms really. And I find myself like, yeah, I'll, I'll scroll through Twitter. I'll scroll through Instagram, but I'm not really doing anything. I mean, sometimes I'll post some pictures on Instagram, you know, and, and I'll get a few likes here and there and like, that's great. But I think part of, the irony is is that like we're we're educated enough to know the toxicity that is on these platforms and yet at the same time doing the podcast for example being content creators you know part of the creation and the uh, and the <laughs> for and listeners the that for listeners that won't see here Ian did air quotes by yes, the way <laughs> I did, yes yeah when i was saying content creators um yeah, but you know, part of the uh, what uh, um, helps the growth of the podcast is being active on social media and allowing um, that potential for uh, for toxicity to exist, right? I mean, think about it. You and I do talk about controversial 
things. Right. You know, I mean, like it's I, I, we always go back to this example, but when we initially were doing our uh, philosophical and political ism series, um, we talked about liberalism. And in back when we used to do NBS News, you know, we talked about Andy Ngo and, and, and what was going on with Antifa in Portland, Oregon. And we got quite a lot of pushback on Facebook yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, whoa, okay. But at the same time, it was, it was kind of fun for us. Like, okay, like we're getting feedback. This is great. Right, right. Um, and it was like, you know, we're, you know and, it's that, and that's the thing that we're learning that I was kind of telling Ian too, where, you know, there are so many things that one person will say something and there's just slew of beliefs that are projected mm-hmm. onto that person. Now, whether that be good or bad, it's something that we all do. And I don't think that social media is helping that. No. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's easy us to default to projecting, you know, certain things on people. But, you know, looking at the time, because I do want this to be like a For nice digestible yeah. as well. Yeah. I, there, I do, I am curious to know, like, you know, what are some of the critiques that, like, what are some of the things that you didn't like, you know, about the yeah, content? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are some aspects I thought that were sort of drenched in a kind of shallow Marxism. I thought, you know, like the, the, the Sako segment when he's talking about how the world works and, and I, 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 you know, I do understand that it's satire, right? So, like, there are some things that he might say just for the reaction, right? Sure. Like, he's saying it just to, like, look how extreme this is. Um, you know, when he's talking about like how, you know, uh, history and the, and the sort of pedagogy is, is built to prop up, you know, the upper class and maybe white values, whatever those are. Um, and that how, you know, everything is written in bloodshed, genocide, um, which I is interesting, but I don't think captures the whole thing. Um, you know, and then also, you know, his critiques of capitalism throughout. I mean, it's fine. Like, you know, I think there are plenty of warranted critiques of capitalism. You and I agree on that. Um, but I guess the what, part of the issue that I have with it is it's both I like this and then the other times I don't like this is that you don't really know what his views are. Right, right. right. And part of that is like, okay, you're saying these things. Okay, for example, he literally, in that Sako uh, moment, he literally spouted a, well, the Sako did character, spouted a conspiracy theory that JFK was murdered by the FBI, or not JFK, but MLK. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's bullshit, you know, but who, are you going to say that? Is somebody going to listen to that and actually take that seriously because they think those are your real views? I think part of the problem in the world that we live now, especially of online content, whether it's podcasting or YouTube, you know, and the spread of conspiracy theories is that you can say something like that being, you know, silly and disingenuous um, and, and hoping that people will understand it as satire. But the problem that you and I run into that a lot of other, you know, problems are derived, uh, derived of is people aren't very media literate. Uh, they don't have the, you know, the best education, right? And so we run into this issue of like, are people going to take these ideas and run with it? Now, do you think uh, that's something that is is problematic for all comedians like or in this for all comedians i don't know i it's it's different right because we you know we talked about at the top that like this isn't really a comedy special right you know it's more of like this performance art and which i like i like it a lot um but it's there are statements being made right that because it is labeled as comedy it's just like oh hey this is it's comedy you know and so i think that I don't know. Without the something, the thing that we're doing, right? It, it's kind of hard to just take it at face value. And so, I, what I worry about is, uh, you know, maybe this is this is the other thing too. Is like he likes to bring up race a lot, right? Uh, within the podcast, or with, not within the podcast, <laughs> but within the um, within the special. You know, like in the one of the earlier episode or earlier pieces. I can't remember what it's called. Saving the world with comedy. Oh no, that's yes, the very that, first. No, yeah, like one of the very it. first songs. But you know, he talks about he's like, I'm just a white guy. You know, like right. he's like, we've I'm had the floor white. for 400 years. You know, like, you know, but yeah. but then it's funny because he's like, oh, well, I'm bored, so I need to do something. I need to help somehow, and. I think that's interesting because it is this two-sided coin where he's critiquing, you know, white folks for being at the forefront of things for a long time. And I think that's perfectly fine to be like, okay, like we need to make room for other people. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, well, I have to do something. This is sort of white savior uh, complex. And I feel like you just, you have a trap there. Like not that he's necessarily setting a trap, but it's like, if you want to believe in the social justice and you want to give room for people of color to do, you know, uh, to do whatever, you know, be, you know, be in positions of power or, you know, uh, take up, you know, the Emmys or, or Oscars, what have you. Um, you don't also want to 
stand by, you know, silent. You want to participate in somehow. And there's almost like no way to win, you know, when it comes to fighting for progress or whatever. And so in that particular song, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's not that I don't like it. It's not that it's like I'm critical of it. It's just like I wish that if if it weren't for the nature of his special, like he could spend more time talking about it. Right. right? I think that, and it's funny too, because I think in the, near the end of that song, he says something about like, he switches the musical style of, of saving the world with comedy. And, you know, he's being very satirical because especially he's like, I'm going to try to do my part while getting paid and being the center of attention. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> and so like, he says that. So like, there is a, he's almost pointing out the whole, own hypocritical natures too of, certain comedians or performers or content creators who who make money doing this kind of stuff who are advocating for things when they profit from them you know mm-hmm. and that's also a theme that you see when he does his brand awareness bit right like it and yeah. it's i think it's the same through line it's more of like there's just trying to make fun of the hypocrisy of like oh you know a brand is going to stand for some sort of cause and whether they stood for that cause or, or not i mean a big critique is like you look at gay pride month and you mm-hmm. look at how many companies like one month of the year, just throw rainbows on things yeah. and say that they support, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that aspect of it, but I, something that you said though, interests me because when we first started doing this podcast, you were kind of a person that were like, words are words, you know, let people speak, let people say stuff and, and not really worried. Now, would you say that kind of some of the reactions and the, the harshness of the world that you've seen from people saying stuff like now you're kind of like, seem to be more cautious about bringing up ideas or things because of the way that they spread or because of how they can't, I mean, is, was that, am I correct there? Am I yeah. Wrong? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, th- I think there's definitely more caution, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that people should just not say things. I just think that you need to, you need to think about what you're going to say much more strategically, right? Because I, the world has shown us that people cannot be, find nuance in, in what people say, right? You know, people are just so quick to, to leap down. It's kind of like I could, you know, if I was somebody, you know, conservative, you know, talk show host or whatever, I could critique Bo Burnham special for being anti-capitalist and Marxist and all that kind of shit and socialist, whatever, um, for those individual bits. But that's not really seeing what's going on. It's not listening, you know, to what he's saying. It's right. just like, it's hearing it and like, mm, no, that's bad. Um, you know, the other thing too, actually, you know, you, you brought up the, uh, uh, the brand like awareness or brands, but you know, uh, Specialist, or whatever. I don't know the brand ambassador. Brand, brand ambassador, right? You know, he that uh, uh, is the sort of prelude to the white girl Instagram, right? And I think that's really interesting because, first of all, I mean that that again was one of the more brilliant brilliant uh, pieces. I mean, I, I love that. You know, just the aesthetic of the whole thing. Like he captures what it's like to like just be scrolling through Instagram and seeing this stuff. Right, right, and like shot for shot, like you know, and it's mm-hmm. very impressive that each shot you like you don't think that you're like oh I'm pretty sure, and then you see you know, oh actually yeah I've I've you know everything yeah. every yeah every shot that it pans to during the song you're like I've totally seen all mm-hmm. of these. But part of my critique of 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 that one, however much I liked it is, so first of all, I think the big thing here is, again, you know, he uses, he brings the race into this for, you know, for a minute. And I, I don't think Bo were, if probed about this, I don't think he would suggest that there's something like white culture, right? You ask yourself, you know, like, okay, people talk about black culture, but if you, if you hypothesize that there's white culture, that just seems strange. You know, it's just like, all people, all white people have the same type of culture that, you know, that are surrounding their whiteness that seems to be uh, just false. And if you were to say that about black folks in America, that would also seem false. Like, oh, all black people come together just because of the color of their skin. And when taking that into account with the Instagram uh, part of it, something that I, this, you know, sort of flies in the face of my worries about nihilism a little bit, but... I think what's interesting about Instagram in particular is whether or not it's, you know, a bunch of white girls, you know, posting all this stuff. People are finding meaning in this world of meaninglessness. And I think Instagram, for example, like, I don't know, I I follow plenty of accounts that are travel blogs or, you know, girls on mountaintops or what, you know, what have you. There's so much like there's a big facade there. But at the same time, like people are getting a kind of richness out of it. And I think the issue one of the issues in in critiquing that world is that we unfortunately occupy a world where other places to find meaning are gone 
And I think that, I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I, I worry that if we try to take everything away, you know, by that kind of critique, then people might not be able to find find that meaning. I, so, I don't know. I, 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 no, I, I, I completely see what you're saying. I think this is the issue with critiquing it. I don't remember uh, who said this. I'm not going to take credit for it, but it's like somebody, it might have been Tristan Harris when he's talking about how like, you know, there's, or even I think Sam has said it once before where it's like when our brains, when we see a benefit, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to acknowledge the, the downside of that benefit. Right, yeah. And I think a big, or we, it's like a, something that we've choose to do with ourselves. And I, I think smoking is a really good example. You know, th- for the longest time, you know, there's a lot of people that smoke knowing full well that studies have shown that it leads to cancer, it, it leads to faster rapid aging, it leads to yellowing of the teeth and skin. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many things that will tell you that having a cigarette will, will harm for you. But then there's people that, oh, the nicotine calms me down or like it prevents me from doing it. They focus on the benefit that it provides mm-hmm. and it's easier to forego the negatives in that regard. Yeah. And the, even though they know them, they may not want to hear them or it doesn't matter. And I think the internet is a very good sphere of that. We're starting to see now that mm, there actually might be some negative things going on here. Mm-hmm. Whether that be mentalities, whether that be for the fact that, you know, we are finding meaning online. And one avenue, what lens that I see is when I see problems with the cost of living and, you know, like trying to survive in, you know, post-COVID world and all this different stuff and, and realizing how hard it is and how much sacrifice it really does take to kind of keep a roof over your head and food in your belly and all this stuff like that, where I'm working so much now that, like, I really don't have much time to find meaning outside of this place. So I do find meaning in certain aspects of, of digital content. But if I find meaning there, does that mean that the outside world or meaning that we used to find elsewhere is continuing to just be ignored and stagnant and not fixed? And so this disparities or these sacrifices are continued to rise, you know, but on the other hand, it is really nice to see what friends are up to who I don't really talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really nice to, to be, to allow myself to, you know, for example, um, uh, one of my other friends uses a meditation app every night Oh right, and it helps him focus. It helps him sleep, you know, and there's been a lot of benefits from, from that. So yeah, there's definitely a lot. And that's why like, you know, walking to the internet, you know, can be interested in everything all the time. Yeah. So there's negative and positive and how do we balance that? And how do we manage that? We just don't really know. For sure. You know, and on that balance part and then you know, taking, taking the balance part of the equation and then also the, um, uh, uh, the sort of meaning, uh, finding meaning online and all that. I, one of, one of the songs that I also, you know, I liked and I also thought that, you know, ironically it was a bit problematic was the song problematic. And he's talking about the trouble he finds himself in and like having these thoughts, you know, saying and writing things that may have been found viewed as offensive or like wearing an Aladdin costume, which, that, that that's a whole other situation on you know on its own, but you know he talks about burning it and like oh I shouldn't do that um, and and that basically says not knowing what to do with it right really. yeah exactly you know and he's and he's in this predicament and then later in throughout the song it kind of moves into this realm of sort of re- almost like a religious sacrifice you know type of deal where like in order to you know ask for forgiveness or try to grow in the world that we that we have now, you sort of have to, you know, it's, there's a self-flagellation, you know, ness to it where like you have to kind of beat yourself and make these tremendous sacrifices, um, to, uh, to do anything worthwhile in the world. And it's, it, it sort of talks to the problem that like, maybe we aren't really living, you know, and there's this great imagery in that, um, in that song towards the end where like, he's constantly having beams of light, you know, shown at him in, in a darker space. And like, he has himself up on a cross with like the, 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 the light of a cross being like lit up on him. So it looks like he's hanging there. And to me that really just hit home where we don't, we aren't really living. And, and, you know, again, that's the problem, like with the Instagram thing, for example, is yeah, you might be able to find meaning in doing that, but like you aren't really living, you know, you could go to those places that, you know, that you see people go to, you know, and then people think about, Oh, well, you know, what about, what about my job? What about taking time off? What about family? All this? It's like, okay, yeah, you might want to worry about that, but you might not expect, experience those places ever you might not really live yeah or not just that though it's not just living but it's it's also the sense of experiencing and the sense of like we're not living we're showing 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, for example, I, I'm, I'm not going to discredit that there will be people that post stuff that legitimately believe and feel what they've posted. Yeah. But I have seen countless examples, and this is just anecdotal, but I remember you know, talking to one of my bartenders a few, several years back. And she was talking about she had some issues um, with her significant other. He was, you know, he, he hadn't found a job in a while. And so she was kind of paying all the bills and she had to pick up more shifts. And, you know, apparently he was supposed to become this thing, but he kept failing a test and he wasn't really studying. And so she was being frustrated and like, you know, she would come home after working and he'd be like, get out of my way. I'm playing games. You know, instead of like engaging and she had said something simple. She just said, like, I just want him to like ask me about my day. Just engage with me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you know, my advice was just to sit down and be open and honest. And, and you know, she's like, well, yeah, maybe. And then, you know, the next day I was like, did you talk with them? She's like, no, but we're going to go to a wedding. So after the wedding, I'll say something. I was like, okay, no worries. I'm, you know, no pressure. I just was wanting to follow up. Yeah, yeah. That same day, you know, she was very frustrated with him. And there was a few other things that she vented about. And then she posted on, on Facebook and Instagram, like, a picture of them at the wedding being like, my forever wedding partner, you know, always supportive and, and there for me. And like, and just this huge kind of, you know, appreciation post. Yeah. But she had just told me several hours earlier that all those things that she just said, Basically that he does, weren't, true. weren't true. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like this, it's this projection we want to mm-hmm. show, you know, I think it's an idea of like either showing what we already have or showing what we wish we had or what we wanted to have. Yeah. And then there's some times where those lines get blurred. For sure. And I mean, even with the, you know, I'll just keep using the example with the Instagram thing, you know, we might see people, you know, influencers, for example, like traveling the world and like look like they're having a great time, but they are selling brands most often than not. You know, they're selling these lines of, of shoes, they're selling these these sweatshirts or, the, or uh, you know, maybe they're selling, you know, they're trying to advertise for a Sprinter van or something like that. You can travel the world with a Sprinter van, you know, and more often than not, these people are probably struggling just as well. Right. You know, and, and they're having to make, again, more tremendous sacrifices just so they can do this and scrape by a little bit. You know, so there is, you know, I don't want to call it necessarily a facade, but it is kind of this curtain that you have to realize is put up in place of everything, you know, for the sake of making your numbers, making sure that you hit your ad, you know, get your ad revenue. Yeah. And there's like certain things. And I think this is why. Bo Burnham really just kind of adds to the absurdity of this. And, and I really do like the only reason why I love this, this special, I've seen it three times now and it is this beautiful blend, you know, between that kind of like, he is presenting this information in a comedic fashion where we're not sure in certain regards where he stands, but he's covering kind of both aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, he kind of drops down and kind of lets people in on, on his struggles, you know, and like, it's that is what I think is so true to kind of what's going on to where, you know, the, the stigma is, is that we, we don't want anybody to know that we're having a difficult time or that we're not being the best. Now, granted, this is all on average because I know a few people that like to post their struggles online. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so like, I, think I know a few also. Right. And so you, there are those people out there that are attention seekers by posting the negative things that happen to them. That is the whole sphere of the internet yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but then again, that all could be damaging where it's like you're reaching out for validation because this is sucky and then nobody is validating. Like, let's say that's an outcome. Yeah. You know, so most of these things, these are averages that we're talking about and there are outliers of these averages, but you know, there is this cultural interpretation that Bo Burnham is having mm-hmm. that I felt that in every aspect of most of what he did, I saw where he pulled it from. Mm-hmm. And even if I didn't agree directly, like I understood. Is that thunder? I don't know if that's thunder or somebody taking out the trash, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, maybe we haven't looked outside in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe. <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe, um, maybe one of the last things that, that I'll say, and this is, this is certainly a praise um, about the special is again, I really enjoy the production of it. Um, and is what he did, it's sort of, it's, it's not exactly at the beginning and not exactly at the end, but he bookends the special with, you know, first of all, at the beginning, he's giving like a testimo- testimonial, seems like the most candid, where he's looking into the camera that's facing a mirror and he's telling the reason why he's doing this and, and what he hopes to achieve, right? But really the camera is still center stage. Um, and same thing later on where he comes back and he says that he's having a hard time about working on the special and he ends up just not being able to complete 
his thoughts, like he ends up just kind of breaking down. And then in both instances, the camera zooms in on itself, mm-hmm. on the lens. Mm-hmm. The thing about the lens is it's black. It's completely black. And to me, this is very reminiscent of the abyss, right? Where, you know, this is more like Nietzsche's abyss, but it is, you're zooming in, you're gazing into it, as, and it's gazing back at you. This is something that Nietzsche said in Beyond Good and Evil, where he says something about like, be careful fighting in monsters because you might become a monster yourself. And if you gaze into the abyss for long enough, it might gaze back into you. And part of what he means by that is going out there and, and doing the work in, in finding meaning. Yep. That was thunder. Yep. That was thunder. Yep. Um, I knew it. Um, but, uh, going out there and, and finding meaning and doing the work you might in doing so might be corrupted by the very things that you're trying to fight against, you know, um, it's very reminiscent of his special, right? Like he is trying to make some something important in the world, a great piece of art, and yet he is subjected to all the very things that he's critiquing. Similarly, you know, what he talked about, you know, throughout the special several times is like you might be watching this on your screen, on your phone, or whatever, and part of that, you know, comes down to the act of the camera. Is like we are doing this in front of a camera, and right. how. The fact is, is like that it is a type of gaze. Like we are gazing into this person's life and seeing them at their most vulnerable state, but it's part of a performance, right? Right. And so there is that tragic irony there that we might be contributing to the very problems that we're trying to fight because we have to operate within that same space. We're opera we're we are coming into into a world that is already worlded that's also something that Nietzsche also said and so i think that's probably one of the one of the best parallels i think within within the piece I, that i really enjoyed and, and that's why i think that despite you know some critiques despite some things i i thought maybe weren't done super well overall i really like the special because of its experimental nature and because of these themes and parallels that you could find without it yeah i agree and uh, this is very very said I, I think that we'll probably be seeing more styles of it. I think mm-hmm. this is like the beginning of maybe a new um, kind of genre. So we'll, we'll see yeah. kind of where this pans out. And the only thing you said too also reminds me of the, of the series Black Mirror. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, Black Mirror is great. Yeah. But it's that still like the, that's, you, you can see, you, you see your own reflection in the, in, in like technology that's not turned on and, mm-hmm. and the worries of that. But no, I honestly think that Thor is now wanting us to, to end this thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. of yeah. the lightning. But um, yeah. no, that, that was uh it's good to it's good to be back in the same room, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us for this hour, um, some change, I guess. And yeah, for sure. And yeah, you know, and for you guys, it's like watch the special, don't watch the special, but you know, think and definitely watch it. Please <laughs> watch it. It's on Netflix. Like it's yeah, really good. Like, that's true. And you know, like, and and it's only an know, hour and a half. Come long. up with your own stuff with it. You know, there's 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 heavy themes, there's light themes. It's it's all in all. It's a piece of production. It's a piece of art, uh, cinematic art that gets you to think. Yeah, and that's definitely. that's what's definitely that's what we sure. like about it. Yeah, so um, I guess just look forward to this on the Patreon feed. Um, I I don't know. If, I think we're just calling this a, a bonus episode, not necessarily a, a BS Boulevard. I, but I don't know um, if you're wanting to. Um, do this on free feeds later on i'm possibly i mean i guess you guys will see that uh uh judging by the episode title what we chose <laughs> right <laughs> yeah for, for, for sure All right, yeah. i guess yeah thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening bye uh everything that guy just says bullshit thank you